As you're taking your seat, if you would, turn to John 8, as will be in verses 31 through 47 this morning. John 8, verses 31 through 47. As you all are turning there, let me preface this morning by saying it's always my goal to be clear. This morning, even more to be concise, um, to allow for time for communion to breathe. Let me also preface today by saying that we all come in here from weeks filled with many different things. Um, And oftentimes, being able to look back at those weeks and count on more than just our two hands, the times where we have not just disobeyed, but not even sought our Father. This morning, we'll see Jesus continue his dialogue with two parties, uh, one big group, uh, those two parties being the Jews who are starting to believe and have even an infantile faith, and the second being the Pharisees, who are still trying to stifle this Messiah, the one that they would read scrolls on and say they knew, yet do not know one bit. As we begin this morning, you would see our sermon title is Freedom and Futility. I want to go ahead and set the foundation for us to say that freedom in Christ makes us exiles, not just in this world like we know good and well, but also in our own flesh. The freedom in Christ does not just make us exiles in this world, but also in our own flesh. Comfortability kills Christians. Whether it be a state of apathy or complacency that would leave us feeling as if we don't need more of the Savior that we have by God's grace, more knowledge, more love for, more opportunities to serve. And anything that we seek to do apart from Christ, whether it be outside of his love or for anyone's glory other than God's, is an exercise in futility, is what Ecclesiastes would describe as working unto the wind, planting seeds and seeing them blown, never to take root, never to grow anything, futile, meaning without purpose, William Wilberforce is a man who knew much about an exercise in futility. He was um, a sociolite. Uh, He was uh, converted to be a saint. He was responsible for criminalizing slave trade in the UK. William Wilberforce is made famous by that effort, but uh, very few take the time to understand his backstory that that criminalization of the slave trade seeking to have it ended in the UK took 20 years of him standing up before men who did not just disagree with him, but also partook in the slave trade. At that time in the UK, it was not just a business, it was the biggest business that paid the people he was protesting against to see the slave trade ended. So if you can imagine, 20 years standing before a group of men you know to be dirty in layman's terms, partaking in the system that you are trying to end and then seeing it ended. He was famous for quotes saying, no man has the right to be idle. But one of my favorites from him sets a beautiful stage for us this morning. As he says, there is no shortcut to holiness. It must be the business of our whole lives. Wilberforce knew this well as he took on the staunch challenge of seeing slave trade ended. And some would even say that his efforts were futile, yet they were not, as they were rooted in the hope that he had in Christ and understanding that all were made in his image. 
He knew it was for not, not for nothing, that it had a purpose, even if he didn't see any fruit. I say that to contrast for us this morning, what we'll see from the early believing Jews and this audience and also the Pharisees all the way to ourselves today. I pray that we would understand exactly what it is within us that needs to be cut out so that we can be more faithful in our dependency on Christ and our pursuing of Christ. If you are one who comes in here and has been striving well, this is not to overlook your efforts, but it is to encourage you all the more. If you are one that comes in here and has not been striving well, this is not to condemn you, but to encourage you all the more. If you are one that comes in here and does not know where you are, this is not to cast you out, but to encourage you all the more. And to encourage you all the more to what? Is not to look to yourself as a foolish man in a mirror. Is not to look for hope anywhere else other than the cornerstone of Christ. It is to see where you stand before God and what might be standing within you in the way of you and God. What sin needs to be exercised? What sin needs to be cut out so that we can not just live unto the wind, but that we can plant our lives deep in Christ? You on board with me this morning? Awesome. So join me in prayer for yourself, your brothers and sisters sitting next to you, and ultimately for Christ's church, for us here and globally, that we would now humble ourselves, not just under the word, but that we would leave changed by it. And to echo a sentiment from last chance I got to be up here, that we would fear, yes, God, but also what it would mean for us to leave out of his presence unchanged. I fully count on all of us being changed this morning and pray that it would be our hearts softened and not hardened while fully recognize that it is the Holy Spirit who will will and work in your life. So submit yourself unto him now. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship freely, to come before you, to read your word, and by your grace be changed. I pray for us here, as you have brought us here, that it would be changed to the image of Christ and that we would know you all the more and not just have a knowledge of truth, but a devotion to it, that our lives would reflect it. I pray this in Christ's name as we rely on Christ's work for our lives and the presence of your Holy Spirit who enables us to come before you, to understand you, to hear from you, and to know your voice as your sheep. And I pray for all of us here, wherever we may fall, if we have been running well, that this would be an encouragement to continue to run toward you. If we have not been running well, that this would be an encouragement to get rid of whatever keeps us from you. And if we don't know where we run at all, or don't even know you, this it would be an encouragement to see that there is no life apart from you, at least no life worth living. We pray this in Christ's name, and thank you for your grace. Amen. Join me in reading verses 31 through 37 as Christ continues this dialogue on the heels of claiming again before this party that he is one with the Father. Verse 31 and on. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet, 
you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Our first section here of verses will help us see what we are freed from. In a, sim- in a simple statement, I would say that we see the fruit of our salvation, our freedom in Christ, primarily in our freedom from sin. We see our salvation and the fruit of our salvation as our freedom in Christ, primarily from our freedom from sin. Christ is continuing here to these Jews who have, again, I would believe, an infantile faith that they are seeing stifled by customs and even the Pharisees still looming over this conversation. If you could set the scene as you see this group who is starting to consider perhaps this man is the Messiah as we take a look all the way back to when they were seeking to arrest him and could not and they started to question, is this who they're after? He's the Messiah, nobody's touching him. The same group here seeks to say, to Christ that we are children of Abraham. How can you say we were uh, need to be freed if we were born free? And, and it just shows, I love this, if you were with us, which I think most everyone was, as we went through Judges, that's their ancestors. So it's not as if they've always been freed. They actually made good practice of trading their freedom for the bondage of sin. And so here they are in this group and, and are so quick to forget for the sake of ancestry, that they have not just a bad habit of sin, but a lineage of sin. Yes, sin and deliverance by God's grace, but their forefathers, Abraham, who they reference here, have a practice of trading in Abraham's people who he led, of trading freedom for futility of life in Christ for life lived unto themselves. And this is this group here. And they're saying this to Christ who has come to set them free and beforehand was the one by whom they were set free. Sets the grand stage of not just a conversation, but one with cosmic implications. That this is the Messiah and these are his people trying to justify themselves by their father's work in opposition to Christ's father, God. This is the stage set here, and they refuse to see our first point, that they are free from the guilt of sin. Us, in the same way, in parallel, are free from the guilt of sin. Salvation is not just something that enables us to continue on our way. It stops us where we are, as Paul was, breaks us of everything from ourself, and shows us how to truly live. How not just to continue, but to begin. How not to just to take what we have or had before Christ and redeem it, but to see that we ourselves had been redeemed to begin living. It's one of the reasons that Paul's testimony is one of my favorites, but also I find much of myself and the Jewish people here. Looking back on my earlier walk with Christ and how I had so many cobwebs of a works-based Southern Baptist salvation that I needed to shake and understanding that I did nothing to earn God's grace and could do nothing to keep it. And in doing so, was seemingly trying to lose it 
as I tried to justify myself by my works, by a mission trip, by my efforts at a high school FCA, by anything I could get my hands on from changed behavior to a different mindset as justification before God, neglecting the fact that it is God's grace that justifies alone to free me, not just from sin, but the guilt of sin. The Jewish people here are showing that guilt remains as they are getting defensive at the free offer of Christ, salvation. They leverage Abraham, who spoke of Christ to their forefathers, and saying, we're his children. Can you imagine standing before the Messiah and saying anything other than, we are yours. I am yours. To hearken back to him, William Wilberforce at the time of his conversion said this, and he was known as one of the greatest orators of his time, and this was in high class UK, Great Britain. This is in high, high class, and he was one of the finest. He said, much like Paul, I count everything as lost for the surpassing value to know that I am Christ's. No matter what this Christian life throws at you or wherever the path of sanctification would lead you, there is a sure treasure that you can cling to in Christ and you're belonging to him. The quickest thing that you trade away when you find yourself to despair, to disbelief, and hopelessness is neglecting that very same truth, that you are Christ's. We seek to do this as we live for ourselves or seek to justify ourselves apart from Christ not only neglecting in our minds, but with our hands, that we are Christ as his bride. There's nothing of greater value than to know that we are his. And if that is the most valuable thing for us in our knowledge of salvation and our freedom in Christ, yet we try to hold on to life here, we will feel deeply the effects and the guilt of sin. It was so interesting to see this being worked out through our verses this morning, this dialogue, and I would imagine the friction that is in the air as Christ is talking to these Jews who have only ever known what they are saying. And mind you, again, as uh, one who gets to pastor, my rub is not with these Jewish people. It is with the Pharisees who have been teaching them, and we see now the fruit of the Pharisees and the Jewish people self-justification by works and not by faith that is freely given. This is why Christ's message shows even his heart for his people. Please, if you can, see the scene that he is before the people who claim to know Abraham, who spoke of Christ himself, and they are saying, we're not yours, we're Abraham's. Who are you? Yet he draws near and tells them not, you are condemned in your disbelief. While he could, and hear this, while he could cut them off there like a branch cast into fire, while he could say, turn them over to their passions, what does he do? He draws near and says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This lifetime of false teaching, this lifetime of hardened hearts that is being softened now in this moment, Christ is saying, if you would just see this pendulum that your soul is swinging on, that if you are set free by the Son, you are free indeed. Past be damned. Life and be apart from Christ beforehand, gone. A new creation 
raised up from a grave. This is his offer now. And here they cling to the past. A note that I believe we can take from this is that we are not only free from the guilt of sin as the Jews are still heaping upon themselves, but we are free from the snares of sin. If you would flip to Isaiah 61, 1. Isaiah 61, 1. You've heard this mentioned before that we have a great salvation. The question at hand is what do we do with this? I believe Isaiah 61, 1 shows us what we are called to do and running free from the snares of sin and free from its guilt as well. Isaiah 61, 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. There's a beautiful summary of the work of a Christian and a world that is bound to their own sin. To continue to set the stage for us this morning as we continue, the truth sets us free, yes, from sin, but from ourselves. Paul's writing in Romans makes this clear as we are present our members before God for God's use, God's will, not ours. As he continues to say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, this friction that comes with what we know in one word as sanctification. And one of the things that can quickly trip us up in the race of faith or rather the marathon, or rather the daily plotting, as snares of sin. And they so easily entangle. And we see this verbiage all throughout scripture of the narrow path and how few will enter the gate. And friends, I had this thought as I was prepping of skeletons of sin. And I have such a fascination of the valley of dry bones. And, and the power of the gospel to see dry bones raised to life. And how oftentimes I still have some of those teenage thoughts of our skeletons of sin and we all have this closet and the skeletons are just behind the door and they're trying to get out and get into the light. And I had the thought this week that is so far from the truth. And, and here's why. Yes, there are skeletons of sin in our lives and they have no interest in getting out. Instead, they have every interest in burrowing themselves as deep into the recesses of ourselves and our souls and crippling our faith and never being brought out into the light of Christ. They're more like maggots that would seek to leave us paralyzed and useless. Our sin's not hurrying to get out. Snares need to be thrown off, not by our own might, but the gospel. And mind you, never need to be stepped in because of Christ. In Christ, we have the ability to see the sin that would cling so quickly to us, just as the Jews are beginning to see in our text this morning, that perhaps what they've only ever known is not as true as they were told. That perhaps this is the Messiah. Perhaps salvation does not depend on them, but on his work. For us as well, we could see that snares are ever-present and we don't need to step in them to see that we don't need to be in them. We are free from sin. We are free from the guilt and we are free from the snares as well. Mind you, we're not perfect and we never will be until death or in Christ's return. So we will indeed step in snares. But also mind you, those skeletons are not hurrying to get out of your closet.
That's why we have confession. That's why we have brothers and sisters. That's why we have the gift that is church discipline. That's why we have time to partake rightfully in the Lord's Supper, to drag them out into the light of Christ that makes us live. Our last point here in this section is that we are free from the sin of our first father, Adam. If you would turn to Romans 5, verses 12 through 19, or mark it down in your notes, Romans 5, verses 12 through 19. The whole world, including ourselves, including the Jewish people here, have a father problem. And we will see this more in our section, second section of verses here as Christ continues to draw the distinction, turning to the Pharisees about who and which father they serve. We have a father problem. Sin stems from a father problem. Romans 5, verses 12 through 19. Read with me. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sin, who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death resigned, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Amen. This is the distinction we see between our forefather Adam and his turning from God and our freedom and our Savior Christ who would lead us to turn to the Father. Mind you, the Jewish people here and the Pharisees as they are uh, refusing Christ are also refusing their Father, their Creator. All know God as Creator. They need only to look at their hands or in a mirror to see that they have been created. The question then becomes whether they bend the knee in worshipful submission or will have that knee bent in judgment. We are free from the guilt of sin. We are free from even the ancestors that we are grafted into here and seeing that snares we are free from. And we are also free from our forefather, Adam's sin. I'm free to turn to our Father, God. Move on with me here, our, our verses 38 through 46. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. They answered him, Abraham is our Father. Again, <laughs> Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? 
It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? I could have just left it at this in summary that we are free to believe Christ. We're free to believe Christ. But to continue in that for our body here, I want to posit this, that that freedom mirrors repentance and that we turn from our former and turn to the Father. Our freedom in Christ mirrors our repentance that we can turn from our former selves, from our former Father, and turn to God. We see so much value in this in our Old Testament, brothers and sisters, and how much weight was placed on even just being in the presence of God. Just the presence behind a veil and special ceremony at a certain time from a certain man. Just the weight that was placed that we are prone to neglect because of supercomputers in our pockets and full schedules. Our freedom and that mirror of repentance does not just free us from, but frees, frees us for. First and foremost, anytime we mention freedom in the Bible, we can't not mention Galatians 5.1, that for freedom we are freed. For freedom we are freed. It sounds redundant or it sounds somewhat like a fortune cookie, but the weight behind this statement is that we are freed to live as a free people not to return to our former yoke of slavery. That is outlined for us here from Christ to these Jewish people. Not to ever return to what bound us up in death. We are freed for faithful living. We're freed to live, to be conquerors, to be royal co-heirs. That is us, that's the church, that's sons and daughters of a high king. Not to limp, but to live. And when we are crushed, and when we can't carry on, what then? Brothers and sisters who are running by our side, pick us up, and we all continue. We're free to faithfully live. And in all of that, we are freed to honor our Heavenly Father. It's frightening to read in these verses the Jews continue to try to justify themselves and doubling down, doubling down again. Abraham's our father. Oh, no. And, and just Christ here, who by all things were created, knew Abraham. And Abraham knew him. He said, no, no, no. You're doing the works your father did. And the response immediately, immediately, as a people who see that they don't need freedom. They were born of Abraham. They weren't even born into sexual sin. What they say here, we were not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. Abraham being their intercessor in this instance. 
And Jesus' response, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. Those two words we must pay attention to, I am. Anytime they appear, especially from Christ's mouth. I am here. This is what they read about. This is what they should have their hope in. This Messiah, I am here. Of all the times in my life, and I'm sure in you all's two different circumstances, that would just leave us wanting to hear that. To hear it by some chance, whether Christ's in front of us or in our minds or a dream, just to hear Christ say, I am here. We see it here this morning. Christ saying, I am here. Recently, just gotten to be so humbled by the reality of our being with God in his presence as a church here. Hence the fear of what happens if we leave unchanged. To come before him and say, we have another father. We don't need your love. This is what the Jews are saying here. They'd rather depend on Abraham's works. And what we just read in Romans 5, that even the finest of men were cursed by sin. Their efforts tainted. Best shot, filthy rags. That that can clean nothing. Yet Jesus is patient and continues, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. Continuing in verse 43, what he must be wondering at this point, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. It struck me to the core to see pride on a page and consider my own life. When can I not bear to hear Christ's word? When can I not bear to hear from God? Although I claim I want to hear from him, I need to hear from you. Give me something, the next step, the next prayer. What do I need? What does my family need? And here's the thing for us, folks, is that we always have the opportunity to hear from God anytime we open the word. Anytime we are not hearing from God is because, not that we can't, but because we do not want to. Anytime we are stuck in sin, it is not because we have not been freed from it. It is because we would prefer sin to our Savior Christ. It's because we would cling to what clings so closely to us and neglect what is being birthed within us, renew on Christ. That we would rather put on the old man than put off and live. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. We're free to faithfully live. That means we don't just hear the word of God. We apply it. And not just in our minds, but to our hands and our feet. J.I. Packer, who is home now, and we've said it before, it's just too good not to say, is that the best theology is one that flows to your fingertips and toes. Mind you, the Jews are wonderfully learned people, the Pharisees as well here. They knew and they knew, and they knew, yet they refused. And their knowledge, they were condemned. They did not want to live for God. That they did not even want to hear from Christ who is before them now. And it's easy in texts like this to say, man, how could they? 
What are they thinking? I would never. But we do. Before beginning this morning, and, and how beginning, there is something in all of our lives, this week even, that we either did or were prone to cling more closely to than Christ. We heard it in our call to worship, a list that we'll revisit here in our close, but we see it even now in our text and one of our foremost enemies that would interrupt and separate us from Christ is ourselves. Freedom in Christ means, again, that we're not just exiles in this world, but must be exiles in our own flesh. We have to be if we are being made new as new creation. Verse 47, the cost of freedom. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. To better understand this here, everybody within earshot is hearing these words. What Christ is interested in here is not just what ears they land on or whether or not somebody can audibly hear. More so as we've heard this contrast maybe in growing up if you were ever disobedient, as everybody was. I know you're hearing me, but you're not listening. It's frightening to say that this crowd's hearts are being hardened by their hearing and their refusal. Pharisees especially. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. Pause. God's sheep will hear the shepherd's voice. We will. If you are hurting this morning and feel as if God is not present or not working or you've not heard from him, even if you have been reading and it feels ineffectual, I would beg the question is, why are you going to the word of God? What is it showing you need to let go of that you have not let go of? What is it that you want? Not just in high principle, but moment by moment, more than relationship with Christ. And not just relationship, but peace with God. Peace. What area in our lives do we say, peace, peace, that God looks down on and says, there is no peace. What skeletons are you helping stay way back in the closet? What area on your body is crippled? Is it your mind in understanding God or wanting more knowledge of him? Is it your hands in service? Is it the heart and even when you serve, it feels unfulfilling? What is hurting and there you will find your thorn? And is that thorn in a place where you cannot reach and you need brothers and sisters to help pull it? The cost of freedom. This cost matches the penalty of sin that Christ paid. Everything. See, freedom in Christ, again, does not just invite you to a better way. It does not just meet you where you are. It shows you what you never were and everything that Christ has done for you. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that most, if not all, the Christian life hinges on what Christ has done, is doing, and says he will do. Relationship with Christ is a wonderful thing. 
like we said, it frees us to hope, to peace, to actually live. I, I can recall, especially this week, looking back on life before Christ and just seeing that it was, it had no peace, no peace, none. And much of those scars still carry today and in, in some sort of self-justification. And just looking back, even growing up in the home, just the mirage put on for mom and dad. And, and eventually, by God's grace, didn't get to do that with Lily and Landon as I knew Christ. But even in knowing Christ, the mirage even some of you saw in the early days of fam and the growth that came from that and the scars that came from it. And it just hit me like the value of being freed, yes, from this world, but from myself. The freedom that comes with meeting you guys in counseling and discipleship and even now and saying openly, I have nothing to offer you. <laughs> None of us do. Even in the church calendar or DNAs or content, yeah, we offer it, but I mean, it's all centered on Christ. I got nothing for you that Christ has not given me. My life so freeing to be able to go to your family members and, and openly say that if they depend on you, everybody involved will be terribly disappointed. And instead you can point them to Christ. The freedom that comes with being able to lay your head down at night skeleton free. Free from shame, snares of sin, and ready not just to make it through the next day of temptations and trials, but more than ready and more than willing to take it on as conquerors in Christ. To go on the offensive against sin and not just constantly feel like life is backpedaling toward a finish line. What sense does that make? Revelation 21, five through eight. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Peace to drink from a well without payment. That's so freeing to hear that when I get to eternity, I have nothing left to give. I don't have anything to give here besides Christ. To drink from the well of eternal life without payment? I mean, what effect should that have on our day-to-day -day life? To hear, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And yet, so often, we micro-focus in on, okay, what about the middle? What about the middle? If Christ is the beginning and the end, then the middle is Christ. It's his will for his church, for his children. And we see that will here. 
and revelation. If we are needing, if we are thirsty, he will give from the spring without payment, and the one who conquers will have this heritage. And we know we conquer not in ourselves, but in Christ. But verse eight, the distinction is made between sheep and goats, between those who profess and those who belong. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The parallel here to those in Matthew who will arrive before God and try to justify themselves by their works. Like the Jews in our verse today. We belong to Abraham. Did we not do these things? Did we not cast out demons? And what is the response? Depart from me. Never knew you. So sobering is the thought of what we neglect in Christ and what we instead cling to in this world. But even more comforting is the thought that we give up everything in this life and we have Christ. We give it all. We submit it. We submit ourselves. We trust the creator of our being to care for our souls. Simple enough, right? Yet sin gets in the way. Here is the invitation of Christ. And, and it's funny enough, I got this half-truth from a church sign, Roadside Theology. You've probably seen this one in the South. Come as you are. Sure. But what happens when you leave? Ideally, or hardened. Zach just hit on it. When we come before God, we come in full vision of God. Nothing is hidden. No sexual sin, no habit, no addiction, no bitterness, no pride, no envy, no ungratefulness. Nothing is hidden before the one who made you. And that is a grace of God. Because as much as you can hide it from your roommates, from your pastors, from yourself, your father, your creator knows you. And in knowing you, instead of telling you and casting you off, says, bring it all. Come as you are. Bring your porn addiction. Bring your bad habit of laziness. Bring your coveting eyes. Bring your weak flesh. Bring yourself, all of you, and leave a new creation. Not by your coming and not by your going, but because of who meets you, the grace of God through the Savior Christ. So this morning, by all means, come as you are. Come to this table as you are, full bearing your addiction, your sin, your secrets. And before you do, make good practice to confess them so you can come worshiping and leave worshiping all the more. The cost of freedom is great and Christ has paid it all. Christ has paid it all. And there's nothing you can ever do to outdo him or out-earn salvation. There's nothing the Jewish people could dialogue their way around out of their dependency of Christ. So I pray as you leave today, you would take stock of not just where you stand, 
before God, but how you will leave before him. And my encouragement would be that it would be immediate. It would be immediate. That if there is a relationship that needs to end, or sin that needs to be confessed, or habit that needs to be given up, or schedule change that needs to be made, that you would uh, devote yourself to do it before you leave here, and then you would do it before lunch. So I'm Baptist, I know. This pleading is not because, again, of a condemnation of anybody. As I would like to think, I could fight Paul for that chief of sinners. And I always feel that way, delivering God's word. Let's see the sweetness that comes with freedom and the cost that is behind it. If you are indeed in Christ, then be in Christ. Have hope. Rid yourself of any reason not to cling to Christ and then cling to him and don't leave him. Don't leave him. Don't leave the fold. Nothing is shiny enough or promising enough or satisfying enough that it could outdo Christ. No wife, no husband, no boyfriend, no girlfriend, no child, no church, no city, nothing outweighs the knowledge that we are Christ's. Don't trade it. Hold fast to it and rid yourself of anything that is in the way. And begin today and continue today and tomorrow and the day after and the day after until we see our Savior face to face. Amen. Father, be with us as you are now, as you always are by your Holy Spirit. And only make us more aware that you are indeed with us. The change that necessitates from the unchanging one. You, our hope, our Father, our Savior, Christ, and the, the space we have now in worship to rid ourselves of ourselves of sin, to be freed from our forefather, from earthly father, the devil. I pray for your body here, your sheep, that if there has been a season of believing Satan's lies, that they would see him as nothing more than what he is, what you told us today in scripture, a liar and nothing else. One that would take half-truth from you and twist them. I pray we would throw off every weight, that we would purge ourselves of sin and continue to, seeing that there is no shortcut to holiness, that it must impact every area of our lives. Be with us now as we continue to worship. Be with us as we go and worship. And I pray that you would be patient and leading us as we would return to worship you yet again. And that everywhere in between, we would know that we need you desperately. And we would see that nothing is standing in our way except that which we put there. Free us of ourselves as you have freed us of sin. And allow us to turn to you. 
pray this in Christ's name. Amen.